The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right. Uh, wow, what a what an honor for me and a, and a real pleasure for me to be filling in for Apelka. My name's Yaron Brook, and I'll be with you the next uh, three days. Three days. So, uh, uh, Micah told me uh, you, you guys would treat me well. He, he warned me you can get a little rowdy. Uh, but uh, I welcome your calls and uh, welcome your participation. Let me, uh, I think I'll start by telling you a little bit about who I am. Because uh, pos- probably most of you have never heard of me, and um, uh, then a uh, lot to talk about. You know, uh, uh, Trump's uh, talk uh, speech last night about uh, about Afghanistan and about coming together as one nation. Always uh, interesting terminology. And then uh, we can talk more about foreign policy and state of our universities is going to be important uh, for me. But but lots to talk about. No no shortage of news out there on any given day that we can discuss. But let, let me start by telling you a little bit about me, a little bit about my ideas, a little about where I come from, uh, ideologically, if you will, intellectually. And, and let me just say up front, disclaimer, please do not hold uh, Mike Opelka um, responsible for anything that I say. Only I am responsible for what I say. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to say stuff that, that will, uh, you know, you won't be happy with. He might not be happy with. Who knows? So I'm, I'm, uh, I was born and raised in Israel. I, I, uh, I lived most of my early life, uh, in, uh, in the state of Israel. I, I emigrated. I'm an immigrant to the United States. My, my perspective on immigration might be a little different than yours and might be a little different than many of the hosts on the blaze because, of my background, but not only because of my background, primarily because of my philosophical ideas and my view of what America stands for, what America really is. Um, maybe the most formative event in in my life, really, certainly from an ideological, from a um, from an ideological perspective, was a book I read when I was sixteen. And let me tell you a little bit about what I was like when I was sixteen. Like most Israelis back then. I was a uh, a real socialist. I, I I really believed in the in the, in the state could solve all problems. I believed in egalitarianism and equality. Uh, I believed that the state was above all th- other things, and sacrificing for the state was one's most important duty. So I was kind of a nationalist and a socialist. That's a scary combination when I think of it today. Uh, but that's how we all were in Israel back then. This is in the uh, in the 1970s. We were raised on it. We were bred with it. Every all of our songs, all of our stories, I, our entire way of upbringing was focused on socialism and nationalism. The the, the tribe, the Jewish tribe, and uh, and very much the state, the Israeli state, and then this idea of of, of socialism, of of sharing. Of equality, equality of outcome, opportunity, equality, um, and um, very much part of how we were raised uh, in those days. And then I read a book, a book I think many of you have probably read, and if you haven't read, you've heard about, and if you've heard about and haven't read, you should read, and if you haven't heard about it, I don't know where you're living, I don't know where you're living. 
Uh, the book is Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It, it should be on everybody's reading list. Millions of people have already read it. I think it was, uh, it's a book that has already uh, been unbelievably influential and shaped much of American culture. And, and this book blew me away. And if you've read it, you know it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty radical in, in a good sense. I, I use the term radical as, as consistent and, and, and positive and good. Um, many of you might have read it and, and not made much of it. Many of you might have read it and said, yeah, that's a kind of what I believe in. Uh, for me, it changed my life. It, it completely turned my life upside down. Everything I'd been taught, everything it turned out I, I believed in, anything, everything politically and philosophically that my parents believed in, that my neighbors believed in, that my favorite politicians believed in. She challenged. The book challenged. And uh, it, it, it completely, you know, radicalized me. It, 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 it completely changed me. It was the most important event in my life from an intellectual perspective. And, and I fought the book. I fought it. I, I know a lot, you know, you might have read it and say, yeah, I agree with that. No, I disagreed with everything. I did not want to agree with a word she said. I threw the book on the wall. I argued with her. Didn't help. Didn't help. She won. I lost. Uh, of course, I won overall. By the time I'd finished the book, I was completely convinced and, and had been studying Ayn Rand's philosophy, Ayn Rand's ideas uh, ever since. Uh, I've, I've uh, really studied them uh, deeply. I've taken them to heart. I live these ideas. And everything you hear from me is my attempt, my attempt to convey to you Ayn Rand's philosophical ideas in the context of today's political, cultural environment. Uh, it, it's my attempt because who knows what she would have thought. She was a genius. I am not. But it's my attempt to, to take, you know, Donald Trump's speech from last night and give you an analysis based on these ideas. And, and, and let me tell you, you know, one of the most important things that Ayn Rand taught me and that I hope to help convey to you and, and what I hope I do every Sunday. I have a show every Sunday on The Blaze uh, from 2 to 4. You can always, you can also follow me on Facebook, on Twitter. Just plug my name in and, and uh, put my name in Google. YouTube, you can, you can uh, subscribe to my channel on YouTube and all the other fun social media stuff. I'm there and you can... Uh, you can uh, you can participate. So if anything I say strikes you as interesting, uh, please, please uh, follow up on it. One of the things that I, I try to convey in all my speeches and all my talks, and I speak, I, I, I think this last year I gave 109 public lectures in, um, I think, over 30 countries. Uh, so uh, I travel a lot overseas and, and speak. Uh, some of my Sunday shows in the future are going to be from all kind of uh, bizarre international locations. So um, one of the most important ideas, or maybe, you know, a key idea that really frames many of the other ideas, is that ideas, deep philosophical ideas, ideas about the nature of the world, ideas about the nature of human beings, ideas about morality, ideas of what shape the world around us. It is philosophical ideas, philosophical ideas, philosophy, that subject that you hated in school. And we'll talk about that. It's good that you hated it in school because what you were taught for the most part was crap. But 
It's ideas that shape history. It's ideas that shape politics. It's ideas that shape the events that are happening all around us. And to some extent, I've always known that, but Ayn Rand really opened my eyes to that fact. And since then, I've been looking at the world and looking at current events, all from the perspective of trying to analyze, trying to figure out what are the fundamental ideas driving these trends, driving what is happening in the world around us. And, and I think most of us, most of us are pretty upset by the state the world is in. I mean, we're about a, a little bit a week away from, over a week from Charlottesville. We have got a war in Afghanistan that has lasted uh, more than 16 years. Uh, we, we've got ISIS kind of on the run, but still committing terrorist attacks like we saw just a few days ago in Barcelona. The world seems to be in disarray. Our universities, and we'll talk quite a bit, and if you follow me, we will talk quite a bit about the state of American universities, the horrific state of American universities and American education more broadly. Um, the state of the world is not good. And, and one of the things that I think explains some of the violence we're seeing in America, the, 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 the clashes inside this country, the rise of Donald Trump as president of the United States, something I think most of us, most of us thought was unthinkable a, a year or 18 months ago. All of this can really be explained by the ideas that are dominant in the culture and the inability, the inability of people to confront those ideas. So what we're talking about, this ideological, philosophical clash that is happening in the world around us. And what we need to do, those of us who believe in America, those of us who believe in freedom, those of us who believe in the founding principles of this country, what kind of ideas we need to embrace, what kind of ideas we need to study in order to protect this greatest of all countries, really in the history of mankind. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Michael Pelka Show, but this is Yaron Brook filling in. We'll be right back. I am telling you the God's honest truth. I would not have Relief Factor as a sponsor on this show if the stuff did not work. It's all natural, botanical mixture that combines with 100% wild harvested fish oils to help reduce the inflammation in my joints, in my knees, in my, my hips, in my back. Yeah, I overdid it as a young man, running marathons, all that training, beat up my joints. But now, thanks to Relief Factor, I'm getting more active. The irritation is down, so the pain is removed. And I can't tell you what that means. Zipping up and down the stairs in the house, being able to crawl around the garden, being able to walk the golf course, being able to take the new puppy out for a two-mile walk every morning. It's a change in my life that was made so simple by All Natural Relief Factor. Try the three-week quick start pack. It's 1995. 
cheaper than a cup of coffee every day. So you can you can go to relieffactor.com and get details. You can pick up the phone and call and ask questions and order 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. It's Relief Factor. What are you waiting for? Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, at least today, Mike's not here. He will be back on Friday. I'm filling in for the next uh, next three days. Uh, my name's Yaron Brook, and uh, we started uh, with a little bit of my personal history, just because I think it it relates to a lot of the things going on in the world today. You know, one of the things that that happened to me when I read Atlas Shrugged uh, when I was when I was 16 is that I really, at the end of that novel, I committed myself to making it somehow to the United States of America. I committed myself to, to immigrating uh, to this great country. And uh, I was 16, you know, it, it not exactly, couldn't exactly make it uh, back then. And it took, me, it took me a decade to actually make it to the United States. But from that point in time, one of the things that kept going through my mind is I want to live in the freest country in the world. I want to live in a place that has the most opportunities to make the best life for myself as possible. I want to live in what is the greatest country on the planet, at least that is what I believed back then. To some extent, it's still true, although not quite as good as uh, as as uh, as as my uh, imagination uh, believed it to be and not quite as good as as america's potential is we could be a lot better we could be a lot better anyway committed myself to doing that committed myself to finding a way to get into this country to 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 make it in and 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 this is this is why i sympathize so much with immigrants who come to this country you know they want a better life. Yeah, I wanted a better life. They want to make the most of their life, as did I. And they want to find a way to come. And, of course, our immigration system is so screwed up. Don't even get me started on how screwed up our immigration system is. It's hard to find a legit way to get into this country. So, anyway, couldn't leave at 16. Couldn't leave at 18 because in Israel, some of you may know this, uh, there's a draft. And it, you get enlisted. And you go and serve three years in the Israeli army, whether you want to or not. And so I served in the Israeli army for three years, uh, spent some time in uh, Israeli military intelligence, learned a little bit about our enemies uh, in, uh, in the Muslim world, and, uh, you know, still use some of what I learned Way, way, way back then, in in uh, in my analysis of uh, of world events, and my analysis of uh, kind of American foreign policy, or the lack of it, or an Israeli foreign policy, and the lack of it, a kind of American and Israeli weakness. Um, got an undergraduate degree because you had a, you know, the only really way I could figure out to get into this country was to go to school here, and um, you know, uh, so I had to get a degree. 
got a degree in engineering. Seems like a, a, a previous life. I was a civil engineer, did construction work. That's so weird. Um, anyway, came to the U.S. to get a graduate degree uh, in uh, an MBA and ultimately got a Ph.D. in finance. So I have a Ph.D. in finance. I was a finance professor for seven years. And then I was offered the job of running the Ayn Rand Institute, connecting back to reading Atlas Shrugged when I was 16. Now I got the job of actually being the advocate for her ideas out there in the world of, of creating an, of, of helping build up an institution dedicated to those ideas, to that philosophy. And I did that for, for 17 years. Um, today I'm the executive chairman of that institution. Um, more doing things like I'm doing right now, speaking out there in the world on behalf of her ideas, on behalf of her philosophy. Um, so everything, everything I say, is guided by those ideas. Those ideas I read about, you know, what is it? Uh, yeah, it's exactly, it's scary. I, I, you, you're going to figure out my age, but 40 years ago, exactly 40 years ago, summer of 1977 is when I read Atlas Shrugged, blew my mind, changed my life, changed my ideas. All right, uh, if you want in on the conversation on any topic we raise or anything else or anything from my biography or... Any, any issue that comes up in the news, uh, happy, happy to take your call, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. Happy to hear from uh, you uh, Apelka fans, or oh, there's a term for you guys, I, I forget it now, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, happy to hear from you, challenge me, ask me questions, um, I, I'm going to get into, into the more controversial stuff here in a minute, so... Came to America. One of the things that was interesting when I came to America is I came on an F-1 visa, which was a student visa. One of the things they do with the student visa is they make it impossible for you to actually make a living while you're going to school. Because I came with no money. I came with two little suitcases with my wife. She came on an F-2 visa. An F-2 visa says you cannot work anywhere, anytime while you're on that visa. So what are you supposed to do as a student come here, Right. Now, I could work on campus, so I got jobs. I got ends and, uh, odd and end kind of jobs where I could. But we struggled, and we struggled for no reason. My wife could have gone to work, but it would have been illegal, illegal to actually work in the United States of America. That, that's a little strange. That would, would be uh, illegal to actually work. So, you know, just, just more illustration of how difficult we make it. We even make it difficult for people who come here to study. People who come here to get an education. And then once they get that education, we make it extraordinarily difficult for them to get a job. So uh, it, it's very difficult. Uh, and one of the big challenges we have in this country is the insane immigration laws. And unfortunately, Donald Trump and, and the latest immigration plan is not making that any easier. Uh, we, will, we will talk about that. Um, all right. So... Uh, we're coming up on a, on a break in, uh, in about a minute. We've got a couple of callers on the line. So please, Neil, Max, hold on. Uh, I'll get you right after the break. You, you both want to raise some big topics. So I need some, you know, real time to actually uh, engage with them. Uh, and when we come back, I want to talk about why the left is winning. And this really fits into Max's, uh, to Max's, uh, ideas. Now, let me just say, 
the left is winning. Even though Republicans hold the House, the Senate, and the presidency, these Republicans are far more leftist than Republicans were, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago. Republicans have moved to the left, and the left, Democrats, have moved to the left. Leftist ideas, statist ideas, are gaining power in this country, uh, uh, increasing dramatically. All right, we've got a hard break here. Uh, you're listening to Ron Brook filling in for Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. All right, today you're getting pure Pelka from Euron Brook, uh, but please don't hold Mike responsible for anything that I say. All right, we're gonna we're gonna be taking uh, we're gonna take some calls. We've got uh, we've got a bunch of callers. I knew as soon as I mentioned immigration, you know, people would want to call in. It's it's it seems to always be a hot topic. But our first caller wants to talk about. Communism versus capitalism. Uh, Neil, you're on uh, the Michael Pelka show. How's it going? Uh, uh, hey, hey, my, my, name, my name is Neil. It's, it's an honor to be on your show. Um, honestly, uh, I'm a big, huge fan of Ayn Rand. I've just gotten into her. And uh, honestly, uh, I've... Uh, I, and I also want... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just... <laughs> Take a like deep breath. Doing... You're fine. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Well, um, I, I wanted to ask this question. Yeah. Uh, this, this, I was having this uh, this argument with uh, one of my friends who happens to uh, be a communist and really left leaning, is statist. And basically, uh, we were, we were having this uh, conversation about uh, Ayn Rand, and basically, uh, of course, he of course he disagrees with her. But basically, he said that, well, the reason why uh, Anne Rand and uh, and, cap- and capitalism doesn't work is because, like, the Republicans have tried it time and time again, like with the example yeah. of uh, Paul yeah. Ryan and T- Ted Cruz. And I honestly disagree with that. But honestly, I didn't know how to how to, re- how to refute that. So, well, I mean, it's I, it's it's pretty simple to refute it. Look. What does capitalism mean? There's a big confusion out there because people pretend that America today is capitalist or the Paul Ryan believes in capitalism or the Ted Cruz even believes in capitalism. And they don't. They don't. And, and I know this might come as a shock to some of you out there, but they don't. Capitalism means the complete separation of state from economics. Capitalism means no state involvement in the economy. Capitalism means leaving us free. Free, un- which means unregulated, uncontrolled. Um, it means a government that does only one thing, protect our individual rights, which means protect our freedoms, protect our freedom to act on our own behalf, uh, to, to start our own businesses, to sell our own things, to, to protect our property. So it's a system where all the property is privately owned and where the government's only job is to protect us. That's it. Arbitrate disputes, so we need a legal system. 
But other than that, a government that leaves us alone. Now, you tell me, when in American history have we ever had that? Now, we came close, close, in parts of the 19th century, maybe between the Civil War and 1890 or, or, or something like that. We came close. But we've never really had it, even during that period. The government was doing all kinds of nonsense, regulating railroads, uh, you know, controlling a lot of the land, uh, uh, taking over the canals and, 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 and taking them over for government control. So we've never really had pure capitalism, real capitalism in this country. Paul Ryan, who is, uh, who is a big proponent of the welfare state, he just wants to make the welfare state more efficient, is not pro-capitalist. And it's, it hasn't been tried in modern times. If you look at how many regulations there, millions and millions of different little regulations on every aspect of our business, uh, business lives, um, that's not capitalism. If you look at that tax code, the, the amount of taxes we pay, I pay in California, 55% of my income goes to the state, either to California, to federal government, 55%. That's not capitalism, that's socialism. So there is no capitalism in America today. We are mixed economy, mixed up of some capitalism, not very much. And a lot of statism, a lot of socialism, a lot of government intervention in every aspect of our lives. So I, I agree. When they Sorry. criticize Paul Ryan or they criticize Ted Cruz, fine. They're not criticizing capitalism. They're criticizing people who are mixed economy people who maybe are slightly less regulations, but they're not. They're not for real capitalism. They're not for the, 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 the idea behind the founding of this country, which is freedom and individual rights, which is a government that leaves us alone. As Jefferson said, if, if your neighbor doesn't have his hand in your pocket, what he does in his own home, in his own business, now I'm paraphrasing here, Jefferson, right, is none of your business. And yet it's all our business because the government intervenes in all of that. So when they attack Republicans... That is not attacking capitalism. Republicans are not the party of capitalism. I wish, I wish there was a party in the United States today that it was a party of capitalism. Indeed, what we need is an American capitalist party. Scrap these two loser parties, these two leftist parties, these two statist parties, these two parties that, that, that want to grow the state and, and increase its effect on our lives. I, I want to be, I want to be free. I want to be able to, do, to to live my life without permission from some bureaucrat, without permission for some politicians. That's what this country is really about. So, you know, your friend is is equating Republicans with capitalism. Huge mistake. And one of the things I try to emphasize over and over and over again is what capitalism really is. It's freedom. It's individual rights. It's a government that only, only, only protects us from crooks and criminals and fraudsters and terrorists and foreign invaders, arbitrates disputes and leaves us, us alone. And of course, it doesn't even do those things very well today because it's so distracted by redistributing our wealth. So, um, uh, you know, when, when Republicans come out and say the solution of Medicare is to phase it out, and, and those of you who are Republicans who want to defend Medicare, call in, right? Let's, let me have it. 
when they say the solution to Medicare is to phase it out, the solution to Social Security is to phase it out, then we will know Republicans are capitalists. But you're not going to hear that, partially because America doesn't want capitalists. So Republicans give us what we want, and America's way, way to the left of where it needs to be. Does that make sense, Neil? Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. And Got some ammunition to go back to your friend, and I, I don't know how you have a friend who's a communist. That 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 boggles my mind. So so the real yeah. question is, you have a friend who advocates for ideas that are responsible for the murder of over a hundred million people. I don't have friends who are communists. I I won't even. I mean, the only I will I won't talk to communists. I'll yell at them, but I can't talk to communists unless they're very young, and I think they could still be swayed against it. But it's like having a friend who's a Nazi, in my view. Right? Nobody would admit to having a friend who's a Nazi. And yet, we treat communism as different. And in my view, communism and Nazism are the same thing. They both advocate the subjugation of the individual. They both are collectivist and place the group above the individual. And they both are responsible for death and destruction. Both believe in the use of force in order to achieve anything in order to attain social goals. Both are the equivalent, and yet we somehow tolerate communism. And I, we'll get to it. I want to talk about why we tolerate communists uh, in a way that we would never tolerate Nazis. Uh, again, because we somehow, we're all lefties, and, and communism is the ultimate leftist ideology. All right, Neil, thanks for calling. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and, and we've got Max on the line who wants to talk about the rise and fall of America, which is a perfect topic for me. So uh, you're listening to the Iran, to Iran Brook on Opelka, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. segment for for the first hour and this is Yaron Brook filling in for Michael Pelka and um, Max dropped out we were going to talk about the rise and fall of America I was looking forward to that uh, Max if you're uh, listening call back uh, you know I'd love to talk to you all right we're going to take we're going to take uh, Abbotton who, who wants to talk about immigration we're going to make this quick because I don't really want to spend the rest of the the show talking about immigration we could talk for a long time but uh, let's hear what Abbotton has to say, since I raised the topic and I encouraged you guys to call. Hey, Abbotton. Hi, Ron. Uh, hey, I want to run an idea by you. Uh, so one thing I've been thinking of is my family immigrated to the United States from Iran in the 70s and the 80s. My family and my extended family. Oh, then we should hate each the- other. You're an Iranian and I'm an Israeli. What are we going to do about that? <laughs> That's right. But, you know, in, in the time since we've immigrated, my family, I've been thinking about it, have probably created hundreds of millions of dollars in economic value here in the United States, yep. which means we've deprived Iran of that value that they would have created. And I think immigrants to the United States, we, we disproportionately select for people who are going to make something of their lives. That's why they come to the United yep. States. So isn't it both in our economic and our national security interest to encourage that brain drain, to encourage people from all over the world who want to make something of their lives to come here to 
deprive our opponents of, of those resources and of those of that economic value. So you calling to get me in trouble with the Blaze audience? Is that is that the goal? That's the purpose. <laughs> no, I, I thought that it would actually be a point that might resonate with that. Audience. I mean, I agree with you completely. Um, I agree with you completely. The, uh, the the our immigration policy should be much more open, much more favorable towards people who can come here to work. We should, I mean, my ideal immigration program, given the fact that we're in a mixed economy, given the fact that there's a lot of welfare, and given the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're messed up uh, in so many respects, uh, my ideal immigration program would have anybody who can get here, who, who will work, uh, can come in and look, my argument about immigration is not about economics. I, I can make the economic argument. I think immigration is great for America, partially because of what Abatin uh, said. You know, you, you, immigrants who come to this country work, produce, uh, they're entrepreneurial, they create, they build, whether it's a low skill level or at a very, very high skill level. Uh, the more immigrants, the better who are willing to work for a living. I, I believe in that. I, I think anybody working is creating value. Uh, work is win-win. Immigration is win-win. If uh, you know they're coming here to work, and that would be my entire focus. Let as many people who want to come to this country come, as long as they're willing to work, and we would get the best, the best people in the world. That's who we would get, right? The 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 uh, the, the the most entrepreneurial, the smartest, the most ambitious. Uh, people in the world would come here, again, whether high-skilled or low-skilled, and uh, they would improve their own lives, and they would improve improve our economy. But beyond that, I, as an American, have an individual right to invite anybody I want into this country, as long as my inviting them does not physically harm my neighbor or any other American. So as long as I'm not inviting into this country a terrorist, a criminal, or somebody carrying an infectious disease, why is it any of your business? Who comes to work for me? Who comes to visit me? Who comes to stay in my hotel? So our immigration policies are violating the individual rights of Americans. That's what I have against them. Right? The economic argument is, is an invalid argument, the idea that, that, oh, you hurt wages in America. First of all, you don't have a right to a wage. You don't have a right to a job. You don't have a right to health care. You don't have a right to other people's stuff. The only right you have is to be left alone, left free, protected. That's it. You have a right to be protected from physical force used against you. Not protected in terms of your salary. Not protected even in terms of your economic opportunities. Those are your responsibilities. All the government is there to protect you from is the use of physical force by terrorists, by criminals, by the government itself. That's it. So there is no, econ there is no economic argument against uh, immigration. Add to that the fact that, you know, by any measure, immigration is a huge benefit to them, to the economy, qua economy, in terms of, again, entrepreneurship, in terms of anybody who has a job is creating value. Win-win relationships. I'm I'm paying you because, you know, I gain from it, and 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 uh, you're creating value. You you go and shop. You you're creating economic activity from an economic perspective. 
you can run the models, you can run the, you, you can study economics, and you will find an argument against immigration in the economics literature. It just doesn't exist. Uh, freer, opener borders are better economically, much better economically than closed borders. But I believe in the argument from the rights perspective, from individual rights. Right, and the, uh, I yeah. agree completely. But in, in, the, in the pursuit of our rights, wouldn't, wouldn't there be an argument for the government to actually go out of its way to find people who, who would be productive in America? From no, because it's not the government's job. It's not the government's job to do that. It's not the government's job to encourage people to immigrate. It's not the government's job to go out and find people. It's the government's job to protect us. And it needs to screen the people coming in to make sure that they're not criminals or terrorists or carrying infectious diseases. But other than that, you know, if they've got, again, in, in the current environment, if they've got a job, why stop them from coming in? Uh, the government has no role. In, in going out there and deciding we need these professions versus those professions like they, like Trump's current plan, right? That's central planning. Since when did the government know what the economy needed? The government's pathetic when it comes to things like that. It has no clue what kind of jobs are needed in America and what kind of jobs are not needed in America. If you have a job, that's all the government should require. And it, as long as you're not a danger then they should allow you in. All right, you're listening to Ron Book Show. We will get to you, Max, I promise, right after this break. You're listening to Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, you're listening to Ron Brook filling in for Mike Opelka. I'll be here uh, through Thursday. He'll be back on Friday, and uh, you know uh, we ended up uh, we ended up the last uh, hour talking about immigration. Look, there are a lot of other issues to talk about in immigration, which I'm not talking about right. What about mass migration? What about migration of Muslims? If you want, if you're interested in any of that, call in 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. Uh, happy to talk about any of that or any of your other objections to immigration. Uh, but I want to shift topics, and I'm sorry, Max has disappeared again. He keeps calling and dropping and calling and dropping. Come on, Max, stick with it. Uh, but Max wanted to talk about the rise and fall of America, and and um, and I do too. Uh, I I want to talk about why we have this idea, which I think is is real, that that America is in decline. And I can tell you, you know, the difference between America as I imagined it when I first decided to come to America, and between the America I found when I came, was significant. And then the difference between America that I found when I came and the America that exists today, the America of the last 30 years, I, I came to America exactly 30 years ago, is significant. In my view, America is in decline. Uh, it's not gone yet. There's still America here, but America is in decline. And we have to define what we mean by America, and, and this will connect a little bit to, to the president's comments from yesterday, particularly early on. Uh, 
we have to define what America is to really talk about rise and fall. And luckily for us, Max called back. All right. So, so Max, you want to you want to lead us off here on this topic with a with some comments or question? Yes. I just had a question. Sure. How how long do you think till it actually gets to uh, like another world war? Because the way U.S. is looking now, it's kind of like how Germany was. It used to be all you know. It used to be a religious place and a lot of good stuff there. Then uh, you know it fell down to Hitler. Yeah. But to be all honest, right. you know Hitler really didn't do anything wrong. What's that? Did you just say Hitler didn't do anything wrong? Yeah, he really didn't. Oh, Hitler was one of the most evil people in human history. He did everything he did was wrong. Everything he did was no, evil. He and uh, really? he is, he is oh. certainly one of the nastiest characters in, uh, in human history. Um, but as to how long before we have a world war or something like that, I don't know. I'm not in the business of predicting and putting timetables on things. I will tell you. We're in decline. Thanks, Max, for calling, although I didn't think you would be a supporter of Hitler. That, that I, I wouldn't have taken the call if I'd known that. Um, I, even I have my, 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 uh, my limits, and uh, being a supporter of Hitler and being a supporter of Stalin, uh, uh, that's where you hit my limits uh, in, terms of, uh, uh, in terms of tolerance. But look, uh, uh, America is in decline. Whether it ends up in a world war, whether it ends up in just slow decline, or whether we just go into a massive depression, or whether we start killing each other, or who knows what it looks like. And I'm not even sure it has to end that way. I'm an optimist. I think that the decline can be reversed. I think we can save this country, and I think there's certain signs in the culture that suggest that this country is, is still able to save itself. But I want to first try to understand what America is, what America represents, what America, when, when we say America, do we just mean this particular geography? Do we just mean the particular people who live here? I understand why people are hostile to immigrants if you believe it's just the people who happen to live within these borders right now. Oh, they're not Americans. To me, America is much more than that. To me, America is an idea. An idea that was codified in this particular geographic area. An idea that was manifest in reality in this particular geographic area. And not by accident. But because of the existence of men of genius like the Founding Fathers, who created this country. This is their country. Or at least the country I love, the America I love, is their country. And it's their ideas, their ideas about what a country should be like that is slipping away, that is disappearing, that is under constant attack. Here's, here's a, a, an example. This is from uh, Donald Trump's speech last night, right? And this is, this is I think, very telling on what the right today has to offer Americans. Um, now, he, he, he talks about this, uh, you know, too often we forget that a wound inflicted upon a single member of our community is a wound inflicted upon us all. When one part of America hurts, we all hurt. And when one, when one citizen suffers an injustice, we all suffer together. Really? Is that true? 
I mean, I know that there are people hooting right now in America. I don't feel it. And I can't say necessarily I care. I mean, if they're good people, I care. If they're not so good people, I don't care. Just because they're Americans doesn't make me care. Is that what makes us American? Is the fact that we all have some some kind of communal pain threshold that we all feel for each other? We have some kind of collective consciousness and we all share in each other's experiences? Really? Is that America? Loyalty to our nation, he goes on, demands loyalty to one another. Love for America requires love for all of its people. Ugh, really? When we open our hearts to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice, no place for bigotry, and no tolerance for hate. Now, I agree that there should never be room for prejudice and never be room for bigotry. I'm not so big on this uh, everybody hates hate. I like to hate. There's some people who deserve my hatred. Hate is not a bad thing. It's so politically correct to say, we must eradicate hate from our world. Really? I hate lots of people. I hate Noam Chomsky. Some of you might not know who he is, but he's, a, he's, he's the most cited, I think, intellectual in America today. A, a, a leftist, nihilist, really bad guy. I hate him. I hate Hitler. I hate Stalin. I hate a lot of people out there who advocate for really bad ideas. Yeah, I hate them. Don't be, don't be, uh, don't be embarrassed by your hate. Don't be ashamed of your hate. If you hate people for good reason, if you hate people for a rational reason, then hatred is not a bad thing. So I hate this politically correct nonsense about we must eradicate hate from America. No, I, I hate, I hate Islamic terrorists. I hate that guy who drove his truck into a, a, a group of, uh, uh, of tourists and, 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 and locals just trying to enjoy their lives in, in Barcelona the other day. And I will always hate people like that. I have no tolerance for them. I have no sympathy for them. I will not turn the other cheek for them. And I will not love my enemy. I will not love my enemy. I will hate my enemy. So I don't buy this tolerance you know, that, that we should, we should uh, have no tolerance for hate. Some people need to be hated. Th those people who marched in Charlottesville with Nazi slogans, let me tell you, I hate you guys. And Antifa, the, 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 the leftist group that uh, goes around the country attacking people who they disagree with and beating them up and using pepper spray on them, I hate you guys. And it's when we, when we have the, 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 the stomach and the, and the spine to identify people we hate and rationally defend our position. That is own, that is when we will resurrect America. I mean, the founding fathers hated the king and they offended him and they revolted against him and they shot people. I don't buy this, I guess, this Christian idea of turning the other cheek and loving your enemy. I don't love my enemy, never will, never have. Um, you know, I've been in a war in, in, in Israel. I, I, I know what it's like to, to see, you know, to see people, you know, die in a war. I hate people who attack my values. I hate people who want to destroy my country. I hate people who want to destroy my values. I'm not, I'm not a turn the other cheek kind of guy. And I'm not. A patriot.
If patriotism just means opening my heart or loving America because it's this geography. I'm a patriot only to the extent that this country lives up to its founding principle, only to the extent that this country protects individual rights, only to the extent that this country is a country that, you know, that is individualist, that protects the individual, that values the individual. But this collectivist garbage coming out of the president of the United States mouth does not, does not encourage me to be patriotic. Really? I'm supposed to feel anytime an American is feeling pain? No, I'm not. I love this country. I emigrated to this country because I love this country, because this country represents freedom. It represents individualism. It represents individual rights, and it was founded to protect those rights. That's the extent to which I love it, to the extent this country becomes socialist, to the extent this country becomes statist, to the extent this country becomes collectivist, I will fight it. All right, we come back, we'll talk more about why we're losing this battle for America, why America is slipping away, or at least this idea of America is slipping away, slipping away so much that our president doesn't even advocate for it. And the people who support the president don't advocate for it. And very few people out there know what America really is. All right. You're listening to Iran Brook filling in for Palka on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be back right after this. Last week, I welcomed a new sponsor to this show. And I am happy to say they're the best. Filter buy. These are the people who decided that the hassle of buying filters for your air conditioning and heating units just needed to change. It needed to be made easier. So FilterBuy put together a system where you don't have to go to the store anymore. You don't have to rummage around the shelves trying to remember what the right size is. Sometimes the size and the filter quality don't match. This is the way to buy filters for your home, for your business. And they will deal with one filter purchase or a truckload of filter purchases. So go to FilterBuy.com. Check out all the different air and furnace filter sizes they have. They have everything. They can, they can filter any brand of AC or heating unit you have, and they will set it up to deliver for you. Free delivery, 100% free shipping in the continental United States. So check them out. Go to FilterBuy.com. Stop running around the big box stores or the hardware stores scrounging for filters. And if you're a business person with a big warehouse that needs filters, save some money. They're American-made, they're the best you can buy, and you're going to get a great deal. Go to FilterBuy.com and order your filters today. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Mike Opelka. All right, you're listening. You're on Brooke filling in for Mike Opelka uh, today through Thursday. And, and just to make it clear, guys, I, I don't walk around hating everybody all the time, but hate is appropriate. 
Hate is appropriate. I actually am a big believer in love. Uh, loving yourself first and foremost, loving your own life, and then figuring out what are the most important values that are make your life the best life that it can be, living so you can live the best that you can live, and um, and loving those values, loving those things. And I love this country, and I love this country because it is the best country for my life. It's the country where I can still make the most of my life. It's the country where I have chosen to fight the battle for freedom because I think it's the country with the most upside potential. We were free. We come from a history of great fighters for freedom. We come, we come from, from, from the founders of this country who really believed and understood what freedom stands for. And I still believe that we can resurrect. We can, Resurrect and, in a sense, reinvent those ideas and make them even more solid now than before. So, um, no, it, life is about loving, but not your enemies. <laughs> them I still hate. All right, I, I want to talk about, uh, you know, we're talking about um, uh, this false sense of patriotism that I think the president projects, this uh, false sense of uh, collectivism that I think now is embedded in our culture and more and more and more we get a sense of it. So much statism around. And all of this, I think, is a consequence of the fact that the statists have been winning against the founders, against the individualists in American history for the last, for the last hundred plus years. And, and to put it in the perspective of left and right, basically the left is winning. And, and you can think about it this way. Um, when FDR uh, passed uh, all of his um, agenda, right, the New Deal, the New Deal that FDR passed, regulation of finance, complete regulation, every aspect of the financial industry, uh, regulation of employment, labor laws, Social Security, the, the establishment for the first time in American history at the federal level of a welfare state, Massive, massive intervention in the economy, the building of, of, of big projects by the government and on a scale that the government had never done before. Republicans fought him. Republicans stood up against him and fought every single thing that he did. Indeed, the Supreme Court fought him until he basically threatened to, to wipe them out, to stack the court. Uh, and, and then they basically folded and accepted his view of the Constitution. And, and Republicans always said during the 30s, when we get into power, we will reverse everything that FDR did. And then they got into power, and they didn't. They embraced everything FDR did. They're the biggest supporters of public projects. Look at the infrastructure bill that Trump wants to foist upon us. Social Security? They don't want to do away with Social Security. They're, they're big proponents of Social Security. We want to defend Social Security, say, the Republicans. Deregulation? Uh, maybe sometimes, you know, once in a while they'll deregulate a little bit, but nothing systematic, nothing on principle. No, Republicans today are basically have accepted FDR as a hero. Most Republicans today consider FDR a great American president. Not like Republicans at the time who were opposed to him or fought against him, who, who, who thought he was anti-American and a disaster. No, today he's considered a hero among Republicans. When Johnson then in the 1960s passed the Great Society, the massive expansion of the welfare state, war on poverty, Medicare, Medicaid, 
Republicans opposed it, argued against it. You should listen to Ronald Reagan's speech from 1964 where he attacks Medicare. And they said, as soon as we get into power, we're going to undo all this. Did they? No. No. As soon as they got into power, they reinforced all of it. And today, nobody challenges the great society. Republicans are way to the left of where they used to be. Throughout, in terms of everything with regard to, 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 to economic issues, to the role of government. Republicans, they believe in a robust role for government. We've got a president who wants to regulate and control trade, wants to tell CEOs who to hire and who to fire and when to hire and where to fire, where to locate their plants. Republicans are not, as I mentioned earlier, a capitalist party. They have drifted way to the left on all those issues. And the question is why? Why does the left keep winning? Why is the left dominating the intellectual discussion, the intellectual landscape? Why do Republicans today look like Democrats of the past? And uh, so we're going to take a break in a few seconds. And that's really what we're going to talk about in, uh, in the next part of the show. Why does the right the, 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 the right of old keep losing to the left and why are the right and left today indistinguishable in many respects alright we're coming up to a break you're listening to Ron Brook filling in from Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network you're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network Michael Pelka. All right, this is Yaron Brook filling in for Michael Pelka. You can follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, just put in my name, Yaron, Y-A-R-O-N, Brook, B-R-O-O-K, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there and, and lots more content. I also have a, a show here on The Blaze every Sunday uh, from 2 to 4 Eastern Time. I, I hope uh, you start listening there as well. Uh, Hopefully you're intrigued. All right, we're talking about why the left is winning. And let me let me clarify. It's not that I think the left is winning because they gain the most votes. So they obviously they don't. They, they win the elections. Obviously they don't. It's because they dictate the terms of debate. They have moved the entire political spectrum to the left. Today's Republicans are Democrats of the past. There is no capitalist party in America today. Everything is to the left. Everything has shifted. And the only response Republicans have had recently to the left's agenda is to adopt their collectivism, to adopt their identity politics, and some have gone out to the fringe right and, and, and to the alt-right and adopted the same kind of racist identity politics that the left, the radical, the, the, the fringe left has embraced. Right? So, no, Everything we talk about today is on the left's terms. I mean, think about it for yourself. How many of you think that, that the financial crisis was caused by Wall Street? I mean, a majority, an overwhelming majority of Americans believe that. That is a leftist story. That is not reality. Right? How many of you we think in America today that race is really, really important? 
that racial characteristics are really, really important to who you are. That is a leftist idea and an alt-right idea. But the alt-right and the alt-left, not much difference there. In, in, in so many respects, you know, if we leave business alone, they will, you know, they will poison us and they will destroy us and we have to regulate drug companies. And now, now we're getting more and more, um, this idea we have to regulate the internet and we have to, we have to control, uh, Google and uh, those are all, those are not ideas of a pro-capitalist party and yet they are prevalent. Everything, the whole political map has shifted to the left. There's no discussion of actually establishing freedom. Freedom in America. All right, before I go on on that discussion, we have Malachi, I think. Malachi, I'm pronouncing that right, from Chicago. Uh, hi, Malachi. What's up? I, I'm enjoying the discussion, Your Honor. I wanted to know, how, how do you respond to the criticism about being a globalist? Uh, and, and that, you know, is a critique of, of sure. many, I suppose, on the right now. I mean, uh, especially when it comes to not only issues about immigration, but also trade. I mean, isn't this something that the right kind of has going for it now is that, you know, it's been so passive. And now the right is kind of getting tough and cracking down on neocons and globalists uh, such as yourself. Yeah, well, let's let's unpack that. Let's let's identify what globalism is. Um, and it doesn't really mean anything would, would be my start-off point, right? What does globalism actually mean? It means, for some people, a world government, control over the United States from other nations, loss of sovereignty, the placing of the world, people all over the world, as the thing to be, uh, to be loyal to versus your own state. It also means free trade, and, and relatively open immigration. But that is a package deal. The two have nothing to do with one another. I, for example, am uh, for free trade, and I'm for much more immigration than we have today. And I'm against world government. And I'm against other countries telling our government what they can and cannot do. I'm against of looking at the world from the perspective of countries and world governments and so on. My whole approach is to look at the world from the individual up, not from the state down. So globalism is used, it's thrown about left and right all over the place to describe what? To describe people who want to control my life in the name of the planet or something? Then it's a bad thing to describe people who believe in free trade and allowing individuals to pursue their own life and their own happiness uh, without coercion. I'm all for people like that. So it's a meaningless term. I hate the term. It's meaningless. And I certainly am not a globalist, but I am for free trade. And I am for um, for immigration. All right. So thanks, uh, Malachi. Great name, by the way. I don't know how you came up with that one. Uh, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Uh, We've got Douglas from Chicago wants to talk about Jerry Lewis. I'm, I'm going to hold off on that while I keep the discussion going. Um, Jerry Lewis is a little in, in, out of out of uh, out of the topics I wanted to cover today. All right. So why is it drifting leftwards constantly? And I would say it's because the left has had the ideological high ground. The left 
is intellectual. The left is philosophical. The left has ideas. The right does not. The right has nothing to counter the ideas of the left. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about what some of those ideas are, right? The idea of, you know, fundamentally, you know, that much of the left, much of philosophy today, many of the philosophers out there, many of the teachers teaching your kids are teaching them that reality, reality is not real. There is no actual reality. It's you shape reality. It's, 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 it's your imagination. It's your emotions. It's, it's, there's no actual solid thing out there. Think about the consequences of that. How do we know what truth is? Well, the left tells us today we're in a post truth era. You, you can't even debate ideas with people like that. But what does the right offer in response to that, to this postmodern, uh, you know, uh, leftist ideas that are driving the social justice warriors and are driving so much of the Antifa, and, but so much of the university professors, so many of, of, of the classes that your kids um, are, are taking in college are advocating that reality doesn't really exist, it's not really real, that you're just making it up, that your reality is guided by your nature as a black person or a white person, and therefore if you're white, you should have immediate guilt because you've been oppressing black people. I mean, all this garbage that is a complete rejection of facts, a complete rejection of reality because they don't believe in facts and reality. The world is completely subjective. Reality is completely subjective. It's up to you. Now, what does the right respond to that? Does the right have a theory of explaining how to understand the world, where truth comes from, where knowledge comes from? No. Most people on the right do not. Most intellectuals on the right either default to religion as the source of knowledge. And by the way, religion will never beat out philosophy. It has no ground to stand on. It, it relies on revelation, and revelation are not facts of reality, are not proof of anything, because you can't share a revelation. You can't, you know, revelations are just because you said so. That's not facts. That's not argument. That's not logic. That's not reason. Or pragmatism. The right is very fond of pragmatism. We'll do whatever works. Whatever works. No principles, no ideas. And no actual argument about the nature of reality. In that sense, pragmatism is just like the left. The left will also do whatever works. So you basically have no argument for reality. No argument for reason. No argument for facts given by the right. And if you can't make that argument, too many people attempt it by this idea of, hey, We'll just, we'll just adopt, and, and you can see it on American campuses today, we'll just adopt this identity politics, we'll just adopt this idea that whatever happens in my head, whatever my emotions are, whatever my leader tells me, because I don't trust my emotions, that's what the truth is going to be. And what you get is mindless, brutish young people, which is what we're seeing, we're seeing so much of on American universities today. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and uh, we'll come back and talk about why the left has a moral high ground, not only a, 
uh, an epistemological, philosophical high ground, but they also have the moral high ground. And until we challenge that, we will continue to lose. You're listening to you're listening to Ron Brook on the Michael Pelka Show. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Generation of Talk Radio on the Blaze Radio Network. So this is Yvonne Brook filling in for Michael Pelka today. Uh, I'll be doing this through Thursday. And, uh, you know, to understand what America is, I think it's valuable to understand where it came from. What was the founding of America really about? Which is just a bunch of, as some people would like to describe it, a bunch of white guys who are fed up with a king. What was the ideas that made America possible? America is an ideological revolution. America, at its founding, is the implementation of an idea in politics, in reality. It's not just, you know, defining a new country. America is a different country than any other country that had existed before. America is the first country in human history founded on a moral principle. That principle is individual rights. The idea that every one of us as an individual has a right, therefore is free, to pursue our own life, to live our lives as we see fit in pursuit of the rational values necessary to live. And rational is important. America is a country that comes at the pinnacle of the age of reason. It's not an accident. Reason. The founders admired reason. They understood that reason was our means for knowing the world. That reason was our means of gaining knowledge. And that if human beings were going to survive and thrive, they needed to be free to use their reason in order to achieve their values. But to the founders, reason was at the core of what it meant to be human. This country is the country of the enlightenment, of the age of reason, of the idea, of science, discovery, knowledge, reality, the idea that we can know the world, that we can discover truth. And therefore, as individuals, as we discover truth as individuals, we must be free to express that truth. We must be left alone to apply that truth, to build businesses, to create stuff. And once you create it, it's yours because you created it. It's not the states. It's not the groups. It's not the collectives. It's not societies. It's not the kings. It's not the tribes. It's yours. Starting with your life and the things that you produce, they are yours. Nobody else has a claim against them. That is the genius of America. The idea of individual rights. The idea that individuals must use their reason freely to pursue the things necessary for them to live. So when you start a business and create something new, that is yours. And the only way to live is by producing, creating, building. 
So America is the idea of individualism combined with the idea that reason is a means of survival. A basic means of survival is reason to think, to identify truth and reality, to identify the facts of reality, to integrate them into new knowledge and to apply that knowledge to our lives as individuals. America was the rejection of collectivism in all its different forms, all its different forms, from monarchy to tribalism to even to absolute democracy where the majority gets to decide everything. That's why the founders established a constitutional republic to protect the smallest of all minorities, to protect the individual. So that is what America is. Those are the ideas that made it great. And yet, do you see anybody defending reason? Do you see anybody defending individualism? No, right or left. That's where the left has won. Today, the right and the left are both collectivists. Just the quote I gave you from Trump's speech is a great illustration of that. The right and left today are both anti-reason. There is no party that defends science and technology and, and, and human knowledge and, and the ability of the individual to use his own reason and use his own mind to create a life for himself. No, the left believes you as an individual cannot make a life for yourself. You're completely dependent on government. You need government's help. The collective must support you and you are part of this collective. There's a wholesale rejection, both on the left and on the right, of the ideas of the founding. The ideas of individualism and the idea that we must use and can use and have the ability to use our minds in order to make the most of our own lives. That's why I don't consider myself on the right anymore. Right, left, they're all collectivists. They're all anti-reason. I consider myself an individualist. And in that sense... I'm opposed to both political parties today. All right. You're listening to Iran, to Iran Brook on the Mike Opelka Show. Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka, only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, this is Yaron Brook filling in for Mike Opelka, and we're in the final hour of today's show. And uh, we, we've got Jonathan on the line, and, and I'll, I'll get you, Jonathan, promise. But um, I want to take, I want to talk a little bit about Trump's speech uh, from last night about Afghanistan as an illustration for some of the things we've been talking about, because. I thought that the speech was uh, the best speech I've ever heard Trump give on the one hand, and yet an example of why this country is heading in the wrong direction and why we are losing the war on, um, on Islamic terrorism, why the jihadis are winning, why we have no strategy, completely unfocused, it's disintegrated, it's borderline dishonest is the kind of the kind of assessment we heard yesterday about Afghanistan. So we were told yesterday that 
Um, Afghanistan is getting uh, is getting worse. There are more terror organizations in Afghanistan now than there were maybe ever. There's more hostility towards the United States and and uh, from groups in Afghanistan and in Pakistan than ever before. In spite of the fact that we've been fighting a war there for 16 years, the longest war in American history. Uh, and that the solution for all this, the solution for victory is, we're not going to tell you, we're not going to leave. Um, we're not going to leave Afghanistan, that's for sure. And we're not going to tell you what the solution is, because that's strategy and it's secret, and, and we're not going to tell you how we're going to. We heard a lot about victory. We're going to win. Bush said we're going to win. I mean, Obama kind of said we were going to win. Retreat with honor, you know, get out of there with honor after we crush the enemy. Never happened. Why do we think it's going to happen now? And nowhere in the speech yesterday were the real fundamental questions asked. The speech yesterday was completely rambling in the sense that what is the issue? What is, a, what is at stake here? I'm an individualist, right? I want the government to protect my life. Is Afghanistan a threat to my life? I, I, I think it probably is today because it, it is a haven for all these terrorist organizations that would like to attack America and kill me and kill you. Okay, so let's describe the threat. Why are they so successful? Why are there so many of them over there? Why are they more now than they were before in spite of the fact that America has been fighting this war for 16 years? Who funds this? Where does the money come from? Who inspires this? Is it the Afghan government? Is the problem in Afghanistan? Is that where they're generating the money? I mean, some of it is because they, they make money off of drugs. But is that it? Is that what's funding it? Why don't we just firebomb all of their, uh, you know, poppy fields? It can't be just that because they get money from other sources. What are those other sources? What is the threat? Where does it really come from? I mean, that's a reasoned approach. Let's look at reality. Let's examine the facts. And let's come to conclusions based on those facts. We didn't get any of that. We got vague promises about this time we're going to win. Trust me, which is a, you know, he didn't actually say it, but that was implied throughout the speech, which is a typical Trump line. Trust me. I'm not going to give you details on how I'm going to get there. Just trust me. Wishes over facts. You know, just, just, you know, what do we actually have to do? Now, there were some good things in the speech, I'll admit. There was a hint, non-explicit, that we might change our rules of engagement. That would be good. I'm all for that. There were hints that, that we're actually going to do the things necessary to win. I'm all for that. That's good. But I have argued from 9-11 till today that the war isn't in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is the middle of nowhere. These people wouldn't have the money, the resources, and the ideas to fight. If not, for whom? If not for the countries really behind these terrorists, really behind the ideology of, of jihadism that is killing Westerners all over the world. I mean, we first have to face the facts, face reality, ask the questions about who these people really are. And when you do that, when you examine, when you look at the evidence, when you do the research, and Trump has a lot more information than I have. 
a lot more information than I have, then what you discover is that these people are funded by the Saudis and by the Iranians. They're inspired by the Saudis and the Iranians. Pakistan is, is, plays a huge role here. And who, who supports Pakistan? Who funds all those schools and madrasas and mosques in Pakistan where these people get radicalized? Well, if you're Shiite, it's Iran. If you're Sunni, it's Saudi Arabia. How can you give a talk, a speech, like the president did yesterday, about winning the war in Afghanistan while ignoring the two elephants in the room, the two countries that support all the terrorist activities, all these organizations that are now living in Afghanistan. How can you do it without recognizing and identifying those countries? But exactly the opposite. This is, you know, completely ignore. This is left and right are doing this, right? We're going to evade. We're going to pretend this isn't a problem. Why? Because we're friends with the Saudis. Friends with people who want to kill us, really? That's, that's a great friendship. You should try that at a personal level sometime. I'm not friends with people who hate me. I'm not friends with people who, who, who go every Friday and say, death to Iran, death to Iran. But in the mosques in Saudi Arabia and in Iran, they preach death to America regularly. These are not our friends. These are enemies. And yet, we pretend because we prefer pretense over honesty, over reality, over facts, over rationally assessing the situation. We've been taught not to offend anybody. Well, unless you're Afghan, and Afghans is significant, but God forbid you should, you should uh, offend the Saudis. Saudis are important. So there's no honest discussion about these topics. And the president was not honest with the American people yesterday. He was not honest with the soldiers right in front of him, who he is going to send over there to fight for what? What interest does the United States have in, 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 in Afghanistan, really? To destroy terrorists who might attack the U.S. in the future? If you want to do that, Afghanistan is not the place to start. Well, how about wiping out ISIS to begin with? How about stopping the Saudis and the Iranians from funding these groups and supporting these groups and giving them intelligence and make and, 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 and promoting this ideology. The fact is today that Sunni Shiite doesn't matter. The Iranians are all over Afghanistan. They're the ones supporting the Taliban. Does, does uh, the American president mention that? No. No recognition of who the enemy actually is. No willingness to face the actual facts of reality. This is where, this is where we have to be honest. But we also have to be thoughtful. We have to figure it out. And we can't evade. We can't evade the facts of reality. That's what leadership is about. Leadership is about facing the facts, integrating them, communicating them, and laying out a plan to deal with them, and we got none of that, none of that, yesterday from Trump's speech. Now, it was the most adult speech I've seen him give. I'll give him that. But it still was empty. It was empty. I, I, you know, I want to see, 
I want to see a president actually identify the enemy. I want to see a president outline a, a, a strategy for winning. 16 years since 9-11, and we still have troops all over the world. We have troops hunting, you know, in 120 countries. What do we, what do we have them there for? What are we sending troops to Afghanistan to do? To win? What does victory look like? He never said that. All I want, what does victory look like? He never said what victory looked like. He actually suggested that we might negotiate with the Taliban one day. How do you win it when you negotiate with the enemy? The only thing I know of, of war is you win when you destroy the enemy, when you bring them to their knees, when they reject their ideology. That's how we won World War II. That's why the Japanese are friends today and the Germans are friends, because they rejected the ideology, because they were crushed, defeated. Are we doing that in Afghanistan? Do we plan to do that in Afghanistan? No. If we're not going to do that in Afghanistan, bring the troops home. Why should one more American die in that godforsaken place if we're not going to win? If we're not going to protect Americans? If we're not going to defend America? If we're going to negotiate with the Taliban and hand it over in the end to them anyway? Ah. All right. <laughs> I get angry. What can I do? All right, um, you're listening to uh, Yaron Brook. This is the uh, Michael Beck uh, Apelka Show, and uh, we'll be back right after these messages. I know I've been talking about Relief Factor since April, and I will continue talking about it. Why? Because it works. I started with the three-week quick start pack, and on April 7th, I began breakfast, lunch, and dinner opening up one of those little pre-packaged four-capsule packets. It's got 100% natural botanicals that also sit in there with the capsules of the wild-harvested fish oils. The botanicals and the fish oils work to reduce the inflammation in my knees, and that means the pain goes away. Eight days after I started, my life changed, and now... Months into this, I'm playing more golf. I'm walking more. I'm actually running up and down the stairs in the house being told to stop running. Yes, I know. So I want you to try Relief Factor. They've sold over a million of the three-week quick start packs, and 80% of the people who order are repeat customers. What does that tell you? Relief Factor. It works for me. I hope it works for you. Go to relieffactor.com or pick up the phone. Call them. Ask questions. 800-500-8384. The number is 800-500-8384. The product is Relief Factor. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Okay, so the first thing we want from a president, from a leadership, from people who claim to be pro-American is the facts. Is looking at the world and actually telling us what's actually going on, who the enemy really is. It needs to be identified. And then second is we need leaders who are committed to protecting us. And I, I like the fact, this is one of the things I liked about the speech yesterday. I like the fact that Donald Trump said, we are not going to be do nation building. 
We're not going to fight wars for the sake of other people. But then why are we staying in Afghanistan? What is the criteria for victory? Are we investing there? Are we going to cut economic support to Afghanistan and Pakistan and, and many other countries that are not our friends? Are we going to actually commit to American interests? You see, but you see, nobody, even, even Trump, who is considered, you know, America first, nobody can actually be today America first. We live in a world dominated by a particular moral code, a moral code of altruism, a moral code of self-sacrifice, a moral code that says that you must live for others. You must live for the protection of others, for the defense of others, for the, for the sake of their, the other people's well-being. And as a country, we believe that it's our job, many people believe, to protect others, to defend others, to, to, we, we can't, and we can't be too harsh on others. Oh, when we bomb them, we have to, we, we have to send the food packages at the same time. That's a reference to Bush bombing Afghanistan and dropping food packages with them. You can't be self-assertive. You can't stand up for yourself. But what we need today is self-assertiveness. We need to be able to say America first with everything that that means. And that means we will do whatever is necessary to defend America. And in Afghanistan, if being in Afghanistan is required to defend America, then we will stay in Afghanistan, but this is what we'll do. We'll crush the enemy. We will destroy them. We will kill them everywhere we find them. We will stop worrying about collateral damage, and we will protect our own people, and we will defend this country and crush its enemies. That is what I'd like to hear from a president. All right, now I'm going to skip some callers because Logan is actually the only one who wants to talk about Afghanistan right now. I'll get you to, uh, to Skyler and Jonathan later. But hi, Logan, you're on the um, Pure Pelka show with your Ron Brook. What's up? Hey, so uh, I just wanted to make the point that I think that staying in Afghanistan is actually counterproductive to protecting Americans because for a couple of reasons. One, it's a huge waste of money and American lives. Say a lot more American lives are lost by being over there than to just withdraw second thing is that most of the terrorist attacks since 9-11 are from American citizens who are radicalized because of our foreign policy. And I think that over the last 50 or 60 years, most of this jihadism is a reactionary movement to a failed foreign policy, not just by America, but by many Western nations. Yeah, so, so I'm going to agree and disagree with you, mainly disagree. Um, I agree with you that, that, that Afghanistan is, particularly the way we're, we're fighting the war over there, 2,000 Americans have died over there, almost as many as 9-11, and a trillion dollars, one trillion dollars, imagine what you could do with a trillion dollars, have been spent over there, and I'd say wasted over there because we're worse off now in terms of the state of Afghanistan, in terms of a threat to the United States than we were just after 9-11. We could have gone in there, crushed al-Qaeda, crushed the Taliban, and left. That would have been perfect. That would have been ideal. What I reject, though, Logan, completely, and I think it's historical and afactual, is the idea that people are radicalized because of what we're doing in the Middle East. This is just not true. People are radicalized because they've adopted an ideology, they've adopted a religion, they've adopted a set of beliefs 
that has no place for America in it, has no place for individualism in it, has no place for capitalism in it, has no place for secularism in it, has no place for, for, for couples dancing in public in it. It's an ideology that hates freedom, that hates human beings, and it seeks to destroy them. And this ideology... Do you mean it, Islam? It's rooted in Islam. Now, I, I don't claim to speak for Islam, so I'm not saying all Muslims hold this ideology. But it's a version of Islam that holds these ideas, and people have adopted these ideas. And then what they see is a weakness in the West. They truly believe they can win. They truly believe they can bring us to their knees. Now, the claim is we interfered in their countries. Now, that's nonsense. That's complete and utter garbage. Uh, if anything, we have helped the Arab world out tr tremendously. We have supported them over and over again throughout history. Our foreign policy is bad and it supports terrorism only in the sense that it is weak, only in a sense that we don't actually advocate for what we believe in, only in the sense that we don't actually stand up for ourselves. It's our weakness that, that promotes jihadism. It's our appeasement of them that promotes their violence. It's not our intervention in their lands. Now, again, I'm not for having troops in all these places around the world. The troops should be home. We should go only where American lives and property is in danger of, is being threatened. And we should, we should, when we go, we should crush the enemy and come home. But to blame the radicalization in the Muslim world and American intervention is complete garbage. If you read the Islamists, they don't blame it on, you know, it's not about America. It's about returning to what they view as true Islam. I'm not going to argue whether they're right about true Islam or not. That's their issue. But that's the essence of what's going on here. It's, it's, it's not a backlash. It is them finding an ideology that they believe in and fighting for it. And it's our weakness. It's our not being willing to stand up for what we believe for our ideas. And it's not our willing. It's, it's a lack of willingness on our part to crush them militarily. We appease them. And appeasement only supports the evil. It supports evil and strengthens it. You're listening to The Mike Opelka Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Yaron Brook filling in for Michael Pelka, and uh, I'll be here through Thursday. And we just talked about Afghanistan and the war. And and and, and let me just uh, let me just say something about uh, Logan, the last caller, and about this idea that you know Muslims uh, or the Islamic world hates us because of what we do, and they're just responding and they blow themselves up because we committed the injustice, and they're just just responding to that. And they're radicalized because of our actions. That is a prevalent view, and, and it's a prevalent view that applies not just to Muslims. It is this view that the primary motivation of people is it, we're kind of these uh, like billiard boards, balls. You hit us in one direction, and you know you, 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 one ball hits the other ball, and we go another. It's a certain level of determinism. Um, 
But think about it. I mean, we've intervened in Latin America in probably inappropriate ways, and we don't have any Latin Americans blowing themselves up, killing Americans. We certainly intervened in Europe, both in World War One and World War Two. Um, I, I think World War One inappropriately, World War Two appropriately, given that you know they they declared war on us, the Nazis did. Um, but we don't have suicide bombers or German blowing themselves up to kill Americans. Uh, we've we've intervened in the Philippines. We we went to the whole war a hundred years ago in the Philippines. Uh, I think uh, I, I think a, a, a stupid war, a war we should have never got involved in, under the belief that Americans back then had that we were supposed to establish some kind of empire. And there are no Filipinos blowing themselves up to kill Americans. No, I mean. People are not motivated by you do something and they just respond, ping pong balls or something, or billiard balls or whatever. People are motivated by ideas. The founding fathers in this country were not just motivated by the bad stuff the king advocated for, the, the, the taxes. The founding fathers were, were motivated by a belief based on reason in ideas that were revolutionary at the time. The idea of the sanctity of the individual. The idea that each individual was capable of taking care of their own life because they were capable of thinking, of using their mind, of being of using their reason. They, they, they had ideas and then they acted on those ideas and they, they fought for those ideas. And yeah, the, the, the momentary stimulus was a, a king in England doing uh, offensive things. But they would have found ultimately an excuse to do this, the founders did, because they wanted to establish a new country on the basis of a new idea. The Islamists have an old idea. An idea that God talks to them. An idea that they are God's messengers. And when people have that idea, whether it's Christians, Jews, or Muslims, they often become violent. And you can't reason with them. You can't reason with them. Because what are you going to say? No, God didn't say that. They're convinced. There's no fact in reality that you can point to that says God didn't say that. You can't point to the scripture because scripture is completely contradictory. All scriptures are contradictory. You can find whatever you want in scripture. It's just the nature of it. I mean, I, 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 uh, I grew up in, uh, in, in a Jewish uh, background, right? where every sentence in the Old Testament had 50 different interpretations depending on which rabbi you talk to. Indeed, 50 rabbis usually would interpret every sentence 52 different ways. So what's the right way? How do we know? What's the basis of knowledge? We can't ask God himself directly. So who gets to decide? It's not based on facts of reality. Whenever, whenever truth is achieved through revelation, then you can't discuss it. You can't argue it. You can't debate it. Reason is out. Discussion is out. Debate is out. So all you're left with is force. I can't convince you I'm right about the truth of Islam. So the only thing I can do is force you to submit to Islam. That's all that, you know, that view permits. It's all you can do. So it leads to violence. But it's the ideas, in this case the religion, which is a set of ideas, that drive people. That drive people to commit the horrors that they commit. To fight America. It's not anything we did. It's what they believe. Now, 
There are lots of people out there in the world, including in the Western world, searching for meaning in life. By the way, a lot of the terrorists in Europe and in the U.S. were converts, people who converted to Islam, radicalized by the religion and then became terrorists. They were seeking something. They were seeking a set of ideas to guide their life. And one of the great tragedies is that the West today doesn't advocate for alternative ideas, doesn't advocate for, 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 for reason, for individualism, for a meaningful life through the embrace of philosophy, of a good philosophy, of a reality-based philosophy. What we have to offer people is, is the leftist postmodern nihilism where everything goes, there's no reality, you just make it up as you go along, and anything you believe can be okay, which, by the way, also leads to violence. We'll talk about that tomorrow when we talk about American campuses. And, uh, you know, and, and on the right, kind of a pragmatism or an alternative religion, which is not an answer, which is not a solution. Convert to Christianity instead of Islam or become a pragmatist. There's still no principles, still no real ideas. Just do whatever works. Well, what works is blowing myself up because, you know, I'm trying to achieve 72 virgins or whatever. I'm trying to achieve a caliphate. Instead, we, what we need in this country, what the West needs desperately, what Europe needs, what America needs, is fighters for an enlightenment, is, is to rediscover the ideas that animated the founding fathers, rediscover the passion for reason, for science, and for individualism and individual rights. And until we discover and, 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 and how those can bring meaning to one's life, the founders got it when it came to meaning in life. They put it in the Declaration of Independence. In a sense, the meaning of life is the pursuit of happiness. It's about your life. It's about the pursuit of your happiness. It's about you succeeding in life, you making the most of your own life. That's all the meaning you need. But we don't advocate for that. We don't teach that. We don't, we don't teach people to think. We don't teach reason and rationality. We undercut those left and right, all over the place. And as a consequence, we get people radicalized by a set of alternative ideas called Islam, you know, a, a particular form of Islam, call it totalitarian Islam, talk, call it jihadism, whatever. And they're willing to blow themselves up for those ideas. People are shaped by ideas. People are motivated by ideas. And if we're going to win this war, and this is the most important thing that Trump did not mention, on the contrary, he, he undercut it. If we're going to win this war, we have to offer an alternative set of ideas. We have to argue about what it is we're fighting for. Are we just fighting for America because we're blind patriots? Or are we fighting for a set of ideas? Freedom, individualism, self-reliance in the most meaningful sense of the world, self-realization, the pursuit of happiness. And until we're willing to name the ideas that we're fighting for, we cannot win. And, and what the president should have said yesterday is, yeah, we're not going to bring you democracy. We're not going to try to change your cultures. But by the way, if you want to have a good culture, if you want to have a good country, if you want to live the good life, then adopt Enlightenment values. Then adopt the ideas of the Enlightenment, the ideas 
of individualism, the ideas of freedom. All right. You're listening to Ron Brook. Fill in for Mike Opelka, and we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, you're listening to Iran Brook filling in for Mike Opelka, and uh, we're about to wrap up the show. I've got a couple of callers. Let me just say this. Bad ideas, evil ideas, are only successful in the world when the good are silent, when good ideas are silent, when we do not stand up for the ideas of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, for individual rights, for, for, for the individual, for reason, then bad ideas will dominate. And that's, that's happening overseas with the radicalization of so many of these Muslims who attack us. And it's happening in our universities with the alt-left and now the alt-right embracing evil ideas. But it's the default, it's the default of the, of, of the good, of identifying the good ideas and advocating for them and shouting them and, well, not really shouting them, talking about them, explaining them, educating. That vacuum left by the good ideas is filled by evil. And that's what we're experiencing in the world today. The, 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 the success of evil because of the silence of the good. And the, si- and the good has been silent because it is adopted. America has adopted bad ideas. We'll talk a lot more about that tomorrow. I want to talk about the state of American universities tomorrow, uh, why they are the hub for, for many of these bad ideas, why much of the state of the culture we live in today is a consequence of those bad ideas, and, and what is it that makes it possible for us to just be silent in the face of jihadism, in the face of alt-left, alt-right, and all the nonsense that's out there. If you even mention alt-left, the New York Times will write an article about you saying that you're full of it. All right, um, we have also, let me just mention this while I'm talking about tomorrow. We've also got a guest tomorrow, um, Alex Epstein, who's going to talk to us about Al Gore's latest movie. We're going to talk in the context of all these ideas how uh, climate change is part of this attack on the founding principles of this country, the, the, the advocates for, for climate change, Al Gore and the rest of them, anti the foundational ideas of this country and, and why that is and how that works. And we'll, Alex is, is great on this. So Alex will be here at 11 a.m. Pacific time uh, tomorrow. All right, uh, let's take uh, Jonathan. Uh, you're on the Yvonne Brook Show. Uh, sorry to keep you waiting so long. Um, Heil Hitler, it's absolutely nothing wrong. What? All right, cut him off. I mean, really? This is what people think is, uh, what, entertaining? They're trying to piss me off? What what is exactly going on here? We've got Nazis calling in the show. Uh, Okay, let me say it one more time. Hitler is one of the most evil people in all of human history. His ideas are repugnant. The people who made Hitler possible are disgusting. And anybody today who advocates for his ideas are disgusting. These ideas are evil through and through. And, and you might think it's funny to say Heil Hitler, but 
you know, when they come and put you in the ovens and they turn on the gas and you die slowly and in great agony, you know, that's what your ideas will lead to. So, hey, enjoy the freedom that you have in the United States to be able to say that. And you certainly have the freedom to say it, but it's sick uh, and it's disgusting. And I hope you have a miserable life fitting uh, to the ideas you advocate for. All right, we've got Ed in Austin, who hopefully is not going to say something stupid like that. Go ahead, Ed. No, you're on. Don't let the trolls get to you. Uh, now you're doing God's work. I uh, cannot wait to hear Alex on the show tomorrow. Uh, I actually just wanted to call and uh, get you, hopefully, to spill the beans on any more up-and-coming future Alex Epstein's intellectuals coming out of ARI going through the other industries and exposing these uh, postmodern ideologies, you know, that that are uh, conceived over there, the subsidized hellhole of academia. Sure. Uh, What's going on over there at ARI? We got any more Alex Epstein, Don Watkins going to be going around challenging? uh, Well, as you know, I think, you know, Don Watkins, my co-author on uh, free market revolution and equal is unfair and on a new book that's coming out next month which I'll talk about um, tomorrow or, or, or Thursday uh, Don has gone over and, and joined Alex uh, in uh, at the Center for Industrial Progress and he will be fighting the good fight uh, with Alex and I'm sure yeah I mean we've got we've got Elon Juno we've got uh, Steve Simpson we've got uh, Amanda Maxwell we've got others at the Institute uh, and uh, we're bringing in more and uh, we're training more, and this battle and this war will continue as we continue to advocate for good ideas. And um, let me just say, let me just end with uh, with this. We've got we've got less than two minutes. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for the call. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, this is an ideological battle. I started with the importance of ideas, and I'll end with the importance of ideas. Uh, ideas shape the world. In a sense, and we'll talk about this maybe tomorrow or Thursday, it's Greek philosophy. We're still debating the ideas brought up by Greek philosophy. We're still debating the, 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 moral, the moral ideas that have been around for, for hundreds, thousands of years. It is these ideas that shape ultimately people's behavior and certainly shape the culture and shape history. And if we're going to defeat evil, we're going to have to come up with good ideas. The ideas I adopted, because I think they're true and that inspired me, were the ideas of Ayn Rand as expressed in Atlas Shrugged. And uh, for those of you who haven't read Atlas Shrugged, I encourage you to do so. For those of you who have, read it again um, and uh, think about it. Think about it. The best advice I can give you all is to think. All right, you've been listening to Ron Brooks Show. We'll be back tomorrow and Thursday on the Mike Opelka Show. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.